can't pay the IRS, haven't filed in a while, receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host, the star and the namesake. That's Victor Davis Hanson. He is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. Victor's official home on the internet, which y'all should be visiting quite regularly and subscribing to, is the Blade of Perseus. And you will find that at victorhanson.com. Victor, today we have a couple of topics, but they're all kind of in the zone of America is struggling with money, with uh, youth dying, uh, with taxes. So we will. This will be a little, little morose. Maybe it'll, it'll, it'll uh, uh, turn on activate your Eeyore <laughs> aspect, Victor. But we'll get to these topics uh, right after. Uh, these uh, initial important messages. Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens, your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Hey, folks, if you've been listening to our show, you've probably heard Victor talk about Hillsdale College. It's one of the few colleges in the U.S. still interested in teaching truth. What you probably didn't know is that they have over 40 free online courses. 
and Victor is one of the professors in three of those courses, American Citizenship and its Decline, based on Victor's book, The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, and Globalization Are Destroying the Idea of America, The Second World Wars, based on his book by the same name, and Athens and Sparta, partly based on his book, A War Like No Other, How the Athenians and Spartans Fought the Peloponnesian War. Don't you wish Victor would have been one of your professors in college? Well, now you can join him as he covers some of the main ideas of his books with Hillsdale College's online courses, all available for free. That's right, for free. The courses are seven to nine episodes long, and they are self-spaced, so you can take them whenever and wherever. I think I'm going to start with American Citizenship and Its Decline, where Victor explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. Hey, start your free course with Victor Davis Hansen today. Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. It's free and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. hillsdale.edu slash vdh. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. So, yeah, Victor, uh, I, I came across uh, preparing for the for the episode a number of of I think worthwhile important stories that reflect where America is at, where its head is at, where its America's head is going, and I I think it might be worthwhile lumping them into uh, one or not lumping them but putting them into one show. So here's the first. Uh, um, story. This is from the Daily Mail, and it's headline. I'm just going to read the read the headline. The f- few sentences here. More Americans are struggling to make ends meet now than in the aftermath of the pandemic. A new survey shows nearly 40 percent of U.S. Ho- households can't pay expenses. And here's the first few pieces sentences. Roughly two in five Americans are still struggling to make ends meet. New federal data has shown more than the amount seen. In the aftermath of the COVID-19 pandemic, the revelations come. Uh, revelation comes from the Census Bureau's latest household survey released Wednesday, which shows some 38.5% of adults, or 89.1 million people, experience difficulty paying their bills between April 26th and May 8th. The number is up from a year ago when 34.4% of Americans reported they were undergoing budget crunches and comes as a near 50% increase from the 26.7% recorded in 2021. Victor, America is struggling to buy milk, eggs, pay mortgages, pay rent, and I think it's only going to get worse. What are your thoughts, my friend? Well, I... I I would like to say I told you so, but since, you know, a majority of the country apparently voted for Joe Biden and he pretty much announced his uh, program and the F- the Federal Reserve was pretty much on board. And what was the program? That as we were coming off COVID and as all of us were stuck in our houses, apartments, etc., and as the government was printing under Trump and then under Biden, 
$4 trillion, $5 trillion of easy, funny money. And everybody, you know, everybody had a relative or somebody was getting COVID money that didn't need it. And we heard of businesses and then we heard of all the uh, irregularities, if not fraud involved in that. The point being that people were not spending money because there was very little places to go. It was hard to find a car. Cruises were shut down, vacations, flying, nobody wanted to fly, and there was money piling up. And at that point, it would have been wise to uh, gently, gently raise interest rates from, say, a 30-year mortgage, 2.6 to 3, and see if you could hold it there, 3.5. But we didn't do that. So Joe Biden came in and said, you know, that uh, everybody needs to spend more money. So he ran up in two consecutive years of $2 trillion deficits just at a time when the public was emerging with a, a limited amount of cash, but cash nevertheless, when interest rates on everything were low, but there was, and this is the catcher, there was a supply chain crisis because factories here and abroad had been shut down. So you had all these easy dollars chasing very, very few commodities. And so as I used to hearken on this, uh, I used to try to draw people's attention to, you know, $70 for plywood, $138 for 150 feet of Romex copper wire. It was insane. Uh, cars that used cars that were selling for double their worth. And so... What happened was that as people began to run out of the easy money during the quarantine and as inflation went up one month to 9%, and now we consider an annualized rate of six a success, but that, remember, is on two years of inflation. So they went up 8%, then 7%. Then, so you're about a third higher on everything. And then Joe Biden raised taxes. So... You know, I'm just speaking as a a person who's, you know, comfortable but not wealthy. And all of a sudden, I, I'm at 39.5 income tax level. And then the state of California has gone up to 13.3. And then you have your payroll tax, and they've kept upping the limit in which they can tax you, the income that's vulnerable to such taxation. You have Obamacare. And you can easily, easily, easily get up to 50% of your income. I do. And you don't, I don't have any deductions. And 50% of your income when prices have gone up 30% over the Biden tenure. And we we're, we kept waiting and waiting and waiting for the, I don't know what you would call it, the reckoning. And the reckoning is here now. People can't afford anything anymore. And you see everybody said, well, right. why are houses still high? Well, the reason, only reason that the housing market hasn't completely collapsed is that these sellers are, A, set that their house appreciated so much under this inflation, and their house is worth $600,000 no matter what. And then number two, right. they're thinking, wow, if I sell the house I bought for two hundred, dollars tripled in value, I'm going to have capital gains that have gone up. But more importantly, I have to live somewhere, so I'm going to pay a huge capital gain. Then I got to go buy a house, and I can't get it at 2.7% interest. I'm going to have to pay 7%. I'll just stay here for a while. So the housing market is solidified, ossified, calcified. 
everything is that way. And you could see it coming when Joe Biden was talking about shutting down this coal plant and shutting down this gas field and canceling this pipeline and adding this regulation and powering this EPA and subsidizing this green industry and batteries for tank, all of this stuff. It was all had one thing in common. It was expensive. Government, bigger government, bigger government, higher taxes, more inflation. And that's what we have. And finding people can't, they can't afford it. Right. You know, and gasoline, I don't even get into gasoline, but boy, if you're paying, when Joe Biden came in, he said that it was $5, one of his many lies. That, oh, I came in on $5 gas. No, it was about $250. And it got up to $420. But here in California, I can remember it was about $280, uh, $290. And now it's $530, $540. So $2 extra a gallon, you know, and you're filling up a 20 gallon tank is $40 extra and you do it once a week. You know, it's a lot of scratch 160, yeah. 160 a month. It's, you know, 2000 bucks a year. Yeah. And that means 2000 yeah. bucks you're not spending on other stuff. And that's starting to be felt is what I'm trying to get at. And we're starting right. to slow down finally. I think this has to be the most I told you mentioned I told you so. And if there is I cannot think of another I greater I told you so we kind of moment. And uh, recent last week in New York City, and I this I think Fox covered it, so it may have gotten more broader attention. Uh, the um the number of of uh, illegals who have been bussed into New York now. It's about 70,000 people so far. And the the city geniuses are putting, well, planning to put uh, these uh, folks in city schools, in their gyms, in the gymnasiums, yeah. setting up cots and such. So the kids, so the parents, the same parents who voted for this chucklehead uh, and who are suffering? Can you imagine trying to buy eggs and, and pay rent in New York City compared to other places? Who, who are, their backs are being broken economically now, um, are having their schools threatened by these? Who knows who these uh, these illegals are? What kind of creeps they may be or not? So there are there's growing outrage, and right they're right to be outraged, but they're also right to look in the mirror and say. You know, I voted for this guy. I voted for Alvin Bragg. I voted for these geniuses. So, anyway, well, um, I mean, it, it's that's what we do. I mean, Illinois is going to give them. I, I guess they're talking about uh, organ transplants and eye special eye care that Americans can't get here in California. We gave five hundred million, I think, for health care to illegal aliens. That was just last month. Or New York gave 500. We already had done 500. The point I'm making is that uh, I think that's five, isn't it five million a day in New York it's costing for illegals? But the point is, it's it's just so typical of the left. It's okay, we're going to have six million people enter. And we're not going to, we have two things that we have to remember about our talking points. We're not going to talk about how much it's going to cost. We don't care whether they come in with diabetes. We don't care if they don't speak English. We don't care if they don't have a high school diploma. We don't care if they have a criminal back. We don't care. And B, if you object, you're a racist, a xenophobe. 
So that's what those are the rules. And so then they all come in and all of a sudden these state and local budgets, they think, wow, you know, I won't mention the hospital. I won't mention it. But I had to go to the emergency room about a month ago, pretty ill. And I can tell you that the number of people who spoke English was very small and it was very crowded. There were excellent care. The people did their best to give me excellent care. And I got over whatever I had. But my point is that we're making it very difficult on ourselves because we are taking people from the poorest areas in the world that their government has a responsibility to help, i.e. Mexico, which will not help. And they're streaming up here with a sanction and encouragement of Mexico City. And they want to go from third world health care. And we're a kind and compassionate nation that says, the moment you set foot in the United States, if you don't have absolute instant parity with an American native born citizen, you're a racist. So we try to do this. And then we have a whole multi-billion dollar industry in academia and the race industry and the left who send out paper after paper after paper about how awful we are so they and what that is, we've done an analysis of california and it turns out that hispanic communities have less income than white communities well yeah 27 percent of the state wasn't born in the united states we have 10 million illegal aliens that came the last 20 years what do you expect you expect us to just take a jumbo jet to Oaxaca and fly people up, and all of a sudden they've got a $100,000 car and a $600,000 suburban home, and if we don't give them that, we're failing? But that's how our mentality is. And we're just humans. You know, sumos hominis, non-dei. We're not gods. Right. And that that utopian demand is really frustrating, and it, it's really going to get expensive. And that's besides, you know, you don't know who they are. I was walking with my wife not too long ago, and I turned the corner in our orchard, and here was a man sitting on a tailgate in a pickup with an AR-15 at his lap, and yeah. didn't speak and didn't speak a word of English on your property. Well, on our shared alleyway. Yeah, All right. And so it's it's my property, and right. I, in my broken Spanish and his broken English. I inferred that he was getting a bounty from a neighbor to shoot squirrels. And I think that turned out to be true. But I had no idea, you know, what he was doing. Yeah, and then right. yesterday, I think I mentioned to Sammy, I was walking out in the almond orchard and turned a corner. And here's a refrigerator, a freezer with the lid open right in the middle of the row, just thrown in there. And then I was walking this morning along this historic pond that had been my family for years that my brother sold it to another person but i walk around that just to make sure that everything's okay and here's a whole nother washing machine and all the parts are strewn over and there's all this literature in spanish and so that is the reification of illegal immigration if you bring up if you come up from oaxaca and you come illegally and you reside illegally, and you're going to live here in perpetuity illegally, then you're going to do what? You're going to be poor. And if the government's going to give you a lot of stuff, you're still going to say, you know, you need a phone and you need a, and you need housing and legal and education and health care and food subsidies. And you're still not going to be parity, get achieve parity with, you know, 
an Armenian American, an Arab American, and a Japanese American, a white American. So then we're culpable because that's racism if you didn't achieve parity. Right. So you're going to have to skim because you're going to have to, what, send back $60 billion a year? And if you take the number of illegal aliens and you divide it by the week of remittances, it's about two to $300 a week per person. And so to free up that money to help your familia in, in Mexico, you're going to have to have subsidies from the taxpayer. And that subsidy is not just free stuff from the government. That subsidy is also, well, I'm not going to go buy uh, a dumpster. I'm surely not going to pay for a trash pickup in this uh, rural house I rent from this other guy, this shack or this Winnebago I'm living in. So when I get stuff I, I got to throw away, I'm just going to drive out somewhere and throw it in the side of the road or in a vineyard. And then stupid idiot people like Victor are going to go have to pick it up and deal with it. And that's what he has to do because he's got more than I do and he owes it to me. Because I am a protected illegal alien. That's the attitude. And it's it's cost. And that, that's beside the security. And as I said with Sammy the other day, it's the it's the most Orwellian bizarre situation. You know, I, I do this military history group where we fly out with about a hundred people and we talk about Europe, you know, we go to Europe or Israel or wherever, and it's very carefully planned, and then you know. We fly back in. And in that 20-year history, when I used to do this, I would at least see Jack once every three years. And it was always the same. Somebody flew into SFO, upper middle class, and they lost their their passport or they left it in the seat of the plane, you know. Or in one or two cases, right. I remember somebody was a foreign national and thought they could just get in and jumped on a plane somehow. I don't know how, because they check passports when you and you know what happens? They take them in right. a little they take them into a little room. And I think they they're detained and they're sent back to their country of origin if they don't have a passport, or if they can prove they do have a passport, it's a lengthy process to get documentation to let them into the country. But you contrast that with just walking across the border with no identification, no legality, no permission during a pandemic when we're throwing people out of the military who didn't get vaccinated. It, it's bizarre. Right. It is bizarre, this attitude we have that we romanticize the illegal immigrant. We think that, you know, that he has more rights than the U.S. citizen does. It's just it's the strangest thing in the yeah. world. And the people understand, they don't understand human nature. When you do that, the person does not have more respect for you. The person says, wow, this is a weird country. These idiots just right. out kowtow to me and expect that I have demands or grievances upon them when I came into their country illegally. And they do. So if you're at ground zero and you don't live in Woodside, California, or you don't live in Cambridge, Massachusetts, or you don't leave in Palm Beach, then it's a very different, if you have to confront illegal immigration, it's a very, very different phenomenon. And like I said, when you see somebody come in with broken English, with a teardrop tattoo under the corner of his eye, and you're walking alone at night, and he's got a whole car full of garbage in plastic bags, and he's just about ready to dump them on your property, what do you do? Please don't do that. That is against the law. Right. Yeah. You know, you don't know who he is. You don't know if right. he's a felon in Mexico. You don't know anything. 
or you're driving in town and all of a sudden you see a guy run the stop sign in front of you and doesn't know how to drive or you're with your daughter as happened to me and get hit by somebody who's an illegal alien and the first thing he does is as his honda civic rolls over he sprints off and takes off what do you do or if somebody you come out one morning you hear a terrible crash and noise and you go out and you look outside and there's a car upended in your vineyard and it's upside down it's taken out five thousand dollars worth of damage and the police come and you say well, what are you going to do well he's out there somewhere but if we arrest him they're not going to do anything so we'll just let him go and you say officer could i could i make a suggestion this person destroyed this property of mine and he abandoned right. his vehicle can i tow it and then i can call a salvage company to sell it to them and and part recompense for, no if you do that that's a felony yeah, you don't you'll touch, be arrested you do yeah. not touch that car we have to impound it we have to give him 30 days notice to pick it up and i said well could you please ask him to to pay me no 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 you're a citizen that's your problem he's not a citizen he gets an exemption i said are you going to charge are you going to charge him because look there's two big colt 45 cans right on the floor and there's the whole thing stinks of alcohol well we didn't see him drink how do we know he drank he's not here oh he's innocent then well we didn't know we didn't see him run into your property we didn't know if he did so the guy that comes to pick up the car may not be the perpetrator oh i guess it was a ghost then it was a you know artificial intelligence did it that's the whole attitude of the <laughs> country yeah. now it's always yeah. that's why that, things like that got me so angry i would i wrote the dying citizen about yeah. how it's disadvantageous to be a citizen well victor the citizens are uh angry at least about taxes you talked about taxes uh, you're paying and here's um a, a story based on a new gallup um survey americans opinions of federal income taxes are the worst Gallup has seen in about two decades, six in 10 Americans say the amount of federal income tax they pay is too high, a level last seen in 2001. 46% believe the income tax they pay is fair, essentially tying 1999's 45% as the lowest in Gallup's trend. A new high of 51% say their income taxes are not fair. More Americans say federal income tax is the worst or least fair tax edging out local property taxes there's much more in this article victor i you know i don't know what much more there is to say but this i i'm curious if you think this is a uh, a trend uh clearly is a trend here of, of growing it, it anger is, about it, taxes it is, and how it, it might it, manifest politically well I think it's really going to play into the hands of the Republican because they're the only party, the only group of people that want to lower taxes and starve the beast. But I kind of erred when I suggested that the problem was just inflation and people can't afford anything, much less taxes. But it's also what that money does when it gets into the hands of government on both ends, the top and the bottom. So I mentioned people coming in from this country and getting what a free hotel room in new york or free phone at the border that we don't as citizens and and ejecting veterans out of a hotel to make room for a foreign national who broke the law 
that gets people angry symbolically. Somebody's going to listen. Oh, yeah, okay, but that's just a minuscule. Okay, let's go to the Pentagon budget. So we left. The Pentagon says seven to ten billion. Disinterested observers say twenty to fifty, and Donald Trump said the other day eighty billion. I think he was using the the training and all the things that went into the use of the weapons. But we gave all of those weapons to the Taliban, and they're turning up, as I said, with Sami in places like Pakistan, and they will turn up in Ukraine as well if they haven't already, especially the automatic weapons. But my point is, does who, who did anybody resign about that? Did Mark Milley, who is so eloquent about white supremacy, did he have a press conference and he want to say, I want to apologize to the American taxpayer. A lot of people are under the gun. You're not doing very well. And you pay your hard-earned money, and we just abandoned $50 billion. I'm sorry. No. And yes, just today we learned what? A Pentagon accounting error says that we gave $3 billion more in equipment to Ukraine than was allotted by Congress. And okay, so that was bad enough. The next that's day- a, That's a big error. Yeah, $3 billion? Dollars? Yes, maybe it is. Maybe surrounding error now. That would pay know. for a one week of high-speed rail legal fees, legal fees in California. So anyway, then we hear that Joe Biden has met with some Ukrainians and he wants to increase the money to Ukraine to 278 million special appropriation for their spring offensive. So I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. We just gave them $3 billion that we didn't say that we were going to give them. Isn't $3 billion enough? And you said that you wouldn't want to give them F-16s because it would inflame the situation. And the Russians said that was a red line. And now you're giving them F-16s. Plus, you gave them $3 billion extra, and now you want to give them 200 Who pays for that? Well, that's what gets people mad. They, they, they see the government, it just wastes the money. Waste, waste, waste the money. Or they see that, and state taxes, they see that all during Zoom, teachers were not in the classroom. And sometimes they weren't even Zooming. They didn't go to work, and all of a sudden, they're threatening, after two years of that, they're threatening to go on strike if they don't get more money. And yet, when you say to the teachers, could you please, if we give you a raise, could you please have some accountability so that a test score goes up 1% for every 1% in your set? No. How dare you do that? You're a racist. How dare you say that? So it's like squeezing, squeezing you know, a piece of fruit, and there's no more juice left. It's just all skin and the pit. And the Americans are saying, you know what, I get 50% of my income, and now we're going to get 88,000 new IRS agents. And you know, if you really want to raise money, you can talk about, as Joe Biden does, millionaires and billionaires who don't pay their fair share. And he says they pay, I think he said they only pay 6% of their income. That was a flat out lie. Most of them pay more. But the point is, there's not enough of them to squeeze. So if you really want to get the money, you got to go after the lower middle class and the middle class. You got to go after the electrical contractor. You got to go out of the wait after the waitress. You've got to go after the truck driver and you've got to get all their cash income off the books. You got to come out here to Fresno County and you better drive around and see all the people who are selling everything from shovels to bicycles on street corners and say to them, right. 
Where did you get that? Are you reporting that sale as income? Hmm. Are you paying sales tax? That's what you have to do if you're going to really get more revenue. And people are going to be in a shock shock for that. I think what we're I'm trying to say and articulate is that we're building up. It's like a wave and it hasn't crested yet, but it's starting to have factors that are increasing the wave. And these are non-traditional conservative constituencies. For some, it's their daughters in sports. And all of a sudden there's a guy that's, you know, a male competing again. For some, it's their daughters in the locker room and a guy with a testicles and penis is staring at them and says he's a girl. For some, it's being hit by an illegal alien while he leaves the scene of the accident. For some, it's trying to rent a bike when a bunch of guys try to say intimidate, that it's their, yeah. intimidate you when yeah. you're pregnant and then the media makes sure you're going to be let off uh, suspended from work. All of these centrifugal forces are starting to build. I saw it happen one time in my life. And that was after the exuberance and the nettiness and the craziness of the 60s, which was that that was an equivalent of the woke revolution. And people think, well, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, it was. I was at UC Santa Cruz in 1971. I was a high school. I graduated in 71. I saw the night, late 60s. And there were terrorist bombings. There was just complete chaos, drug yeah. use, everything. And finally, yeah. people said, we're either going to have a country or we're not going to have the Patty Hurt, all that stuff. Yeah, we forget yeah. about the bombing. Victor, bombing I was, I was uh, one every, off New York City, like yeah, two, two blocks away from it. One, one, at, one every three days. Right? One every three days, I think, in 1971. Yeah. yeah. And so we decided... And what happened? Richard Nixon won in the largest landslide in history. And then the Watergate thing came, and then they went and said, you know what? We've got to go back to Jimmy Carter. We've got to go back. I'll never lie to you. And we had the stagflation and the hyperinflation, and we've got to get over our inordinate distrust of communism, fear of communism, and all of that stuff, and all of the race mongering and all that. And then people said, you know what? I've had it. And we got Ronald Reagan in 12 years. So I think what's going to happen, I really do believe this, whether it's Trump or DeSantis, there's going to be a collective shrug, like I'm not going to be had again. And I'm speaking especially to you guys who voted for Biden, because you didn't like Trump's tweets or you were angry about, you know, horse face Stormy Daniels or you said to yourself, what, you know, I've, I liked his agenda, but why does he always get, in the, you know, the access Hollywood and grab their at P-U-S-S-Y and all this stuff? I just can't take it anymore. Good old Joe Biden. At least he's going to be drab. And no, he wasn't. And so just remember that. Yeah. We voted in this disaster and we can vote it out, but you've got to come to your senses and realize that these people are hardcore leftists and they don't like you. You know, it's, I just finished. I, what I'm mystified is by these people that you and I used to know and associate and work with, Jack, and I would call them the never Trump. They're not conservatives anymore, but they're never Trumpers. And I look at them on the pages of the Atlantic or the bulwark or the dispatch and most of them voted for joe biden or they sat out and you would think after this disaster that's pushed the american civilization to the brink that they would have any remorse 
But you know what? I, I, I read that bulwark today. It's all defense of Joe Biden. Yeah. And I guess I guess that's either they've got, gone hard left or the the sources of their income, the Pierre Omadere or whatever his name is. All of that money means that they have no free will anymore. They have to re- they have yeah, to reflect their sources of their left wing funding. Well, but they're the BS behind them, Victor. Right? I didn't change the party changed, but they that's a lie. It's such a lie. I mean, some of them there who were just hard, that once upon a time really strong pro-lifers and Dobbs comes out. Oh, this is the worst thing in the, in the world, etc. You know, they have uh, there's no every there's a issue lot of disingenuousness every with them. Absolutely, every issue. I uh, that's one of the reasons I left National Review. Every issue. I was lectured on the pages of National Review on about 10 issues. A, the environmentalists are crazy and they're ruining the economy. B, we have to be energy self-sufficient. C, we need a strong defense and deterrent foreign policy. D, that radical abortion now even includes abortion to the day of birth. This is murder, you know, and on. And we have to have racially blind policies that we have content over. That's what I read. And then this Trump comes along, and as uncouth as they find him, he he has a four years where it's all those policies are enacted, all of them, and they have no complaint. Maybe fiscal responsibility. I'll give them that that he's physically irresponsible. We ran up a debt, but there was COVID, but still he had deficits before COVID. Okay, but then we get the antithesis of everything they hated with Joe Biden. And they're they're quiet. All they can talk about All is Donald predictable. Trump. Yeah, I, I think the only yeah. that the only sword that cuts that Gordian knot is they're back where they always wanted to be. They were never comfortable. They were always elites. They always were part of the left wing bicoastal aristocracy. They felt yeah. more comfortable socially, culturally, with the left, the media, the New York Times. New York Review of right. Books, uh, the Washington DuPont Circle, Georgetown set, the CB, getting on CBS, Face the Nation. That's where they wanted to be, and that's where they are. Yeah. And, yeah. and what got them there was hating Donald Trump and being a useful idiot for the left and a subsidized useful idiot. There's gold in them, our hills. Um, so, Victor, we, we've got um, got a couple of other... America's struggling topics uh, to uh, get to, and one of them is about how uh, they're, they're not small odds that someone you may be working with uh, will be high on marijuana. And we'll get to that and some other topics right after uh, these important messages. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? For our listeners, Factor is giving you 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month when you use the promo code VICTOR50 
at factormeals.com slash victor50. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Remember, to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month, head to factormeals.com slash victor50, that's V-I-C-T-O-R-5-0, and use the code VICTOR50, that's code VICTOR50, at factormeals.com slash VICTOR50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor, I have to tell uh, you and everyone that we uh, we have a, a sponsor today, and it's uh, Liver Health Formula, and I want to tell you all about it. First, I want our listeners to, to follow this order. You must, must start taking care of your liver now, more than ever. Why? Because the latest data from the American Heart Association indicates that adults with fatty liver we're three and a half times more likely to have heart failure than those without. The American Liver Foundation says 100 million Americans have fatty liver, which means many people are at risk. We throw everything at our livers, cholesterol, alcohol, toxins, statins, cigarettes, and for a lot of people, marijuana. And that's why so many of us have a sluggish fatty liver that makes us gain weight and lose energy. For decades now, your liver, my liver, has helped us with over 500 key functions all day, every day, while we're awake, while we're asleep. And it's time now for you to help your liver. Here's how with Liver Health Formula. It's an all-natural supplement which contains 12 clinically proven botanicals that help recharge and protect your liver. It's manufactured right here in the USA, and it's approved by American doctors. You can try Liver Health Formula, and when you do, you'll receive a free bottle of omega-3. That'll help keep your heart healthy. So try Liver Health Formula by um, going to getliverhelp.com slash Victor, and while you're there, claim your free bonus gift. That's getliverhelp.com slash Victor, and we thank Liver Health Formula for sponsoring the Victor Davis Hanson Show. So, Victor, my friend, here's a headline from the Daily Mail. A record 1 in 25 American workers are high on marijuana at work, data suggests. Can you guess which industries have the biggest stoners? Accommodations <laughs> and food service industry workers use marijuana most often, and the rate of transportation workers using cannabis rose 167 percent from 2018 to 2082 uh you know victor i um i've never i must say I'm, i have many sins i've never had marijuana ever uh once or 
let's say two or three times a month, I'm in New York City, and you just you're walking through a cloud of it uh, everywhere. You know, you just it's a it's a pervasive uh, smell now. I have I have to have a feeling that the numbers of those who are higher are higher than what this article alleges. But it's I think it's kind of disturbing, uh, Victor. Maybe it's a modern age version of the afternoon of workers having had the three martini lunch. Anyway, do you have any thoughts on this? Well, I, I've i watched people for the last 50 years that I've known, some in my family, that use it. And on the one hand, it's a cannabinoid and it's an anti-inflammatory antioxidant. I got interested in the phenomenon because I know people that use it. Uh, and Willie Nelson's a good example, right? He's almost 90. He says he smokes it every day. And because I've been interested in this phenomenon of chronic inflammation and overactive immune system and from this long COVID I've been battling. So I take things like quercetin or fisetin to tamp down the immune system. I And they all, all everybody says, well, try CBD. Well, I kind of have an allergy to weeds or hemp. So I don't take the CBD that's marijuana with the THC extracted. So you can buy it over the counter. But I never was able to take it. But I, I've noticed two things about people that do take it. Uh, it does seem to have some anti-inflammatory effect on them. So they seem to complain less about joint pain or muscle as they get older. But B, it, uh, and this is what I think you're getting at, everybody that I've known who's been a chronic user of it seems to have lost a lot of, uh, what's the word, ambition, drive uh yeah. it's sedative and right. it tends to you know go back to that 60s oh hey man hey man like we'll do it tomorrow man be cool hey uh we got to go out and work on the roof today yeah man like yeah we'll get to it tomorrow man hey man have a toe that kind of stuff and i think it does it has deleterious effects on the central nervous system over time it's a depress. It's not a stimulant. It's a depressive. It's kind of like alcohol, but I think it, in some ways, it it can make a person more schizophrenic. So my worry is that these statistics are started coming out about once we legalize it or de facto legalize it, we've got millions of people driving, and every time I I drive two hundred miles to work, usually once a week. I'm going to leave next Wednesday, and when I'm on these roads across california every once in a while it's really scary somebody will be coming have you ever had this happen and, and the, their left tire is over this over the white line and as they get closer and closer they don't yes. move back and it's one of two things one is i see them texting or i'm on the highway Cell phone, if, right. yes it's texting or I'll be on the freeway on 101 and somebody's in the lane next to him and he just starts to scoot over and you think I'm not going to honk. He'll, he'll move back, but he doesn't. And he almost hits your mirror or they're high. They're high. I don't see them drinking. So I assume that there's a lot of people on the road that are smoking marijuana and are high and that's impaired their ability to drive. And I've talked to some police officers and they tell me it's a, an underreported phenomenon that when they pull over people for apparently they think is drunk driving increasingly they smell stuff but it's not alcohol you know it's marijuana 
And I don't know how we did this. We just suddenly one year, we just do these weird things in America. We just said, you know, oh, everybody's transgender. Didn't know that, but now they are. Whoop, marijuana. Yeah, we have all those concerns about it. They're all gone. It's perfectly okay to smoke it and do whatever you want. It just instantaneously flips. While we're still... Uh, cracking down on cigarette smoking you know oh well in california you can that's the worst thing in the world uh to smoke a cigarette yeah i've never smoked i'm not a smoker and i'm not i don't use marijuana uh but the attitude of a californian to a whiff of cigarette smoke versus a whiff of marijuana is very different marijuana is tolerable Cigarettes is not. It's got a. It's a class thing, I think, too. That cigarette smoking puts you into the lower classes, where marijuana, you're exempt from that class prejudice. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Definitely, yeah. Well, Victor, let's. Um, we've got one other um, of the alarming, um, depressing, distressing uh, topics here. But Victor, here's the the headline. It's from the Wall Street Journal. Young Americans are dying at alarming rates, reversing years of progress. Car accidents, homicides, suicides, drug overdoses have pushed up death rates for children and teens in the U.S. Uh, Victor, I, this, you know, I was going to read a big chunk of this article. I don't think I should or, or really need to. But this is re- really, amongst the many things tr- troubling in, in America, the fact that we are uh, going in reverse on longevity, which we are, you know, the whole life, but that young Americans are um, dying at these increasing rates. And I have a feeling that much of it has to do with uh, drug overdose. This is the, this, a lot of this has to do with the uh, consequences of the lockdown. Yes. Anyway, Victor, troubling well, your thoughts. There, there's only one statistic when we look back at COVID that matters. Because all of the other data can be easily massaged. Who had COVID? Who tested positive? Was it an antigen PCR test? Da, 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 da. It's just the excess death rate. That's it. Each year we know how many people the population generally was and what was the death rate. And we can make a ratio. And except for Sweden, it has a, it was the one, it was the one country that stayed open that everybody demonized. And now we find out that its excess death rate is much lower uh, than its competitors or its friends or the EU or the NATO nations that adopted these strict lockdowns. And us as well, our excess death rate went up. And so why was that? Because we're starting to learn the country went crazy. When people were cut off from social interaction, when they were cooped up, they tended to be more likely to drink, to use drugs, to have suicidal thoughts, to be abusive to family, to spouses. And I think it explains, to be frank, the precursors were there, but the whole George Floyd mania where the country went crazy, and then the whole Trump craziness in 2020 and the 120, a lot of that was a catalyst was this awful lockdown. So that explains some of the short term, but the long term, if you're killing 80 to 90,000 people a year from fentanyl and opiates coming in from Mexico, 
And these tend to be very young people who may be at a party and they say, hey, you got an Ativan, you got a Valium, you got a hydrocodone or whatever, I need a codeine. And, and the fentanyl scares people off. So what the cartels are doing is they're giving fentanyl and they're producing it in tablets that look like codeine or or Ativan or Ambien or whatever. And that allows them to get a market and they're killing people, a lot of people. This is aside from the fentanyl addicts. Well, when you kill somebody with at 35 or 25 or 15, that's very different than 85 as far as the actuarial tables go. Right. So that is a big cause of it. And then I think also the social disruption of just the whole, the whole political climate, the woke revolution, it's got a lot of people suicidal, unsteady, more prone to drink. The economy is really bad. And I think people are coming to the conclusion that American civilization is slipping away from us, that our generation destroyed things, and that their children are not going to be going to K through 12, where they can be confident the teachers are, are skilled in instruction. They'll be able to compute, read, write at a very advanced level. They're going to go to a competitive university where it's fun, and yet they're going to learn a lot. And they can say and express what they want. Their military is top-notch protecting them. The government is is apolitical. It's institutions, the DMV, the Pentagon, the CIA. All of these institutions are disinterested and professional. All that's gone. It's been wiped away by this whole woke revolution. And that's caused an enormous psychological distress and turmoil along with the drugs. And I think that's a lot to do with it. The other thing about it is if you look at uh, white males, not white females or not uh, marginalized people, so to speak, they have had the most precipitous decline in longevity. And a lot of that is from the opiate Midwestern crisis. And you really saw the attitude toward that community when you, we had the East Palestine derailment, where you had this toxic cloud that was, should have punched every left-wing environmental green button. But it didn't. It didn't. People just, Biden didn't go down there. Pete Buttigieg waited and waited. It was like, you know what? I am not going to go down to the Ohio-Pennsylvania border to a bunch of MAGA overweight white people who are getting a sniff of right. some plastic because they support, you know, gas and oil. So they deserve what they got. And they're and they're that was just a contempt for them. And that was kind of for me, that was kind of a revelation how they they look at the opiate crisis. Because think about it, a hundred thousand. I mean, the black community said when the crack cocaine epidemic hit the inner city, they said there was indifference, but, you know, there was. But the fentanyl crisis has really hit a particular lower white, lower middle class, rural, small community, tends to be more in the Midwest. Not that homeless people in L.A. don't take it all the time, but what I'm saying is that particular demographic had no sympathy. And so 100,000 dead does not phase the open borders green advocate. It's just like, okay, so what? 100,000, don't take fentanyl, it's their problem. Obrador said it's your own fault. So we don't care. 
it's not as important as getting a hotel room for a guy that gets off a bus illegally in New York. We got to give a guy, you know, that crosses into Texas, we got to give him a free cell phone. But the fact that that open border kills 100,000 people, they're all East Palestinians anyway from Ohio. Who cares? That's the attitude. It really is. I've noticed that my whole life. I, I, um, I've noticed that when I navigated between rural Fresno County, which was sort of the locus classicus of two constituencies growing up. One was the Oklahoma diasporas, you know, 100 miles from Bakersfield and Buck Owens and, you know, all those. Yeah, that type of country, Western Oklahoma-based music. And then Fresno County was basically destination one for the Oklahoma diaspora and then illegal immigration. I I learned very quickly when I went over to the coast at UC Santa Cruz and Stanford University, and I met a different type of of clientele, is that the word? That while they had great sympathy for illegal aliens, they just despised Okies. They hated them. I don't know what it was about lower white people with a tinge of a Southern accent or Church of God, Assembly of God, Church of Christ, religious affiliations, or the country right. Western, or the cigarette in their mouth, you name it, they just despise them. That was the worst thing in the world in their way. Okies, Okies, Okies. I was at UC Santa Cruz in 1971. I was 18, and I asked some friends to come up, and they kind of drank some beer in and, and the student lounge, and I remember all my People in the dorm came up and said, who are those awful people that came up? We don't want them ever here again. These people are horrible. And so I think there's a prejudice against the the white working class. And you can really see it with affirmative action and quotas and hiring because the, the white elite, as long as affirmative action was demographically adjusted, to on a percentage basis proportionally represented they felt they could gain the system wealthy white people what i meant by that jack is if stanford university let in 67 percent white people according to their numbers in the population and 10 percent latinos or 10 percent blacks and then they kind of pressed down and discriminated against the asian there was no problem with affirmative action because the white person said, either my kid is a superstar and I put him in SAT camp, he's got an 800 set, SAT score, and I know the dean, or I work in Silicon Valley, I get him in the Stanford, whatever. They didn't care that there was discrimination because they could game the system. It, it went after the lower white working class. You know, the guy who was a straight-A student, from, I don't know, Tulare, California, applied to Stanford from a rural high school. He wasn't going to get in. He didn't know anybody. That spot was too precious to be given to somebody else under affirmative action protocols. But now, with repertory admissions, and you see it now with 22% of the incoming class of 2026 at Stanford is white, 22, well, of course, the, the white working class can't get in. But you take the number of students that are admitted every year at Stanford, and you take 22% of them, and you shave off 55% of that 22% for women, and you only have 45%, you're down to three or 400 white males. And that's not enough to accommodate all the children of administrators, of faculty, of Silicon Valley grandees, 
and you get rid of the SAT score so there's no documentation and you won't release the scores of the people who applied and were accepted and chose to take the now optional SAT, that's taboo, but you will inform people and brag that you rejected of the people who chose to take the exam and got a rare perfect score. You rejected 60 to 70 percent. Well, that's affecting that's affecting the upper white elite, the upper, upper white. And that's why I think the left really blew it, because they are they're turning on their own constituencies now. They didn't care about the white working class. They were happy to keep them out of Harvard, Yale, Princeton. They don't want them there. But now and they're not going to be there now. They're not ever going to be there. If you're a white working male from Bakersfield and you're brilliant and you got a 4.5 and you took the SAT and got a perfect score, they're not going to let you in anywhere at a Ivy League or Stanford type place, maybe Caltech. But now it also is the upper, upper left wing family. And that that's that's what's going to be interesting. They're they're well, affected. Uh, they're they're getting angry too. You can talk to them. I've talked well, to them. they. It's nice I, to see some people hoisted on their own petards, right? So well, I mean, they they have a point, don't they? They they think never going to happen to me, but now it happened to me, and it's unfair. And it is unfair, but you know, it's 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 so funny because Stanford, just to take example, I know the best has kind of announced that it was racist to suggest that the new incoming class was not based on merit, right? Because they won't, it wasn't based on, it said it was based on merit. And then their, their official narrative is 22% white people, you know, 9% white males. It's a merit system. You didn't get in. Finally caught up to you that all the people of marginalized people are and gays and women, they're better than you are. So then you say, okay, then just show us the data of the SATs that people, because many of them got in, chose to take it. Just tell us what the score is. Or better yet, just get rid of affirmative action. We don't need it anymore. You said it was merit-based. And under a merit-based system such as your own, only 9% of the student body will be white male. So why do you need affirmative action? And what do you get when you say that? Silence. Silence. It's yeah. gen general rule, the most uh, manipulative, non-transparent, and unprofessional mind is the upper, upper, upper white liberal academic mind. They will say and do anything to warp data, to obfuscate, and not to be candid. And it, because there's such ideologues and it's all bases. I keep hammering on the premise that they're never subject to the consequences of their pernicious ideology. And they think they have a free ride to tell what everybody else how to live in Visalia or Modesto or Prather or Auburn. You live this way. This is what we tell you to do. But if these rules that we you live by happen to affect us, we have the money, the influence, the power to be exempt. And we must be exempt because we're smarter and better than you are. Yeah. And that's after being, you know, I'm 69 and I, I've seen that my entire life. I encountered it very early and it's only gotten worse over the last half century. They mock India for having a caste system, but uh, they sure as hell live by it themselves. Um, hey, Victor, we, uh, 
we're going to uh, take a little break here for one last important message and then maybe have a little Memorial Day thought. So we'll be right back. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. Uh, I, I didn't, I did I forgot to remind our, our listeners to visit VictorHanson.com. And when you're there, sign up, subscribe, because when you do, you'll be able to write read, I should say, the ultra articles that Victor writes exclusively for the website. Um, Two or three pieces a week, there's a tremendous amount of content that you you just won't be able to read anywhere else that Victor writes. You can read his American Greatness pieces on the website. You can read his syndicated column pieces on the website, but you can't read the ultra pieces. And if you're a fan of Victor's writing, you need to do this. Five bucks gets you in the door, and it's um, uh, discounted at $50 a year. That's the Blade of Perseus. That's the official name of the website. The web address is victorhanson.com. As for me, I write Civil Thoughts, a free weekly email newsletter for the Center for Civil Society at American Philanthropic. It has uh, it offers a dozen-plus recommended readings, excerpts, and links of great articles I've come across the previous week. Sign up. It's free. We're not renting your name. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Many folks who listen to this podcast do have done so and have sent me very kind uh, notes uh, thanking me for doing this. So anyway, Victor, I, I, I'm i going to read one of the comments uh, that have come across on uh, Apple Podcasts, and we thank everyone who listens, no matter what platform you listen on, and we thank those who particularly particularly on iTunes or Apple rate the podcast zero to five stars. Practically everyone does the five stars, and there have been a, an awful lot of uh, comments of late. Many of them have been very praiseworthy of a recent podcast Victor did with the great Sammy Wink on the Conquistadors. But here's I'm being a little self-centered here, so here's one um comment all mr hansen's podcasts and writing that's the title of it. it says thank you mr hansen for your unfailingly excellent analysis which you pepper with your erudition quintessentially american gaze and beautiful humility how this native chicagoan loves to hear about the life and work of a california farmer and please forgive my silliness but as a lover from 1930s and 1940s American cinema, I smiled broadly the other day uh, when, uh, regarding Mother's Day, you and Mr. Fowler discussed Mildred Pierce 
And I remember Mama and Joan Crawford and Irene Dunn. What fun. I'm probably about to embarrass myself, but that discussion uh, gave me uh, might give me license to be a bit frivolous. Mr. Fowler's voice has always reminded me of that of Van Johnson. <laughs> please, please know that's a compliment. Mr. Fowler's voice is warm <laughs> and welcoming and fills me with nostalgia. Thank you both for indulging my silliness and for delivering your peerless podcast, Laura from Chicago. Thank you, uh, Laura. By the way, I had so this is a lead into Memorial Day, believe it or not, Victor, because I like I love Van Johnson. Not like Van Johnson would love me. He's but. not nearly the act. He was not nearly the actors that Van Heflin was. Oh well, of course, Van Heflin stars in your your favorite movie, Shane. <laughs> uh, but but uh, Van Johnson stars in one of the great uh, war movies, Battleground. That was a good movie. Is, uh, yeah, it was just just terrific. And again, I'm being self centered here. Titus to uh, Titus Tichera, who has this great movie podcast, and he writes a lot for um, uh, Law and Liberty and and uh, Claremont Review, and he's written for National Review. He 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 saw me tweet about Battleground, which was Van Johnson, George Murphy, uh, Ricardo Montalban. Just uh, it's about the Battle of the Bulge, and he asked me to to be his guest on a podcast. To, to, to discuss it, which I did, and I th that'll be out this week. But uh, anyway, Victor, as we brought this up in the past few years, uh, as we approach Memorial Day weekend, I really like to tip my cap to Turner Classic Movies. Hard to believe that Ted Turner, of all people, and something he owns, actually does something that I think is profoundly important for American culture. You know, it could have been easy as you name it for TCM to say we're not doing with given the wokeness and all this crap infecting our society to end this tradition, which it has done for 20 plus years. So every Memorial Day weekend, it's just filled with terrific uh, uh, movies about war and people making the ultimate sacrifice. And I, I don't know about you, Victor, but I think uh, I find Memorial Day the most sacrosanct of, of our holidays. and for for a media entity to recognize it and give it its due as best it can, I think that's a great thing. So, uh, some of the movies coming up this weekend are uh, A Walk in the Sun. And that's a great Street movie, Joe. Yeah, A Walk in the Sun. Oh, yes, God. that was a theater Dreiser, wasn't it? Uh, American Tragedy, I think. Is that with Elizabeth Taylor and Montgomery Cliff? No, is no, it? no, no, no. A walk, a walk in the Sun is with Dana Andrews. Oh, yes. And it's yes. about. I know that movie. The, I'm uh, sorry. They land at a beach and there's an invasion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a, that was a great movie. So was yeah, a long, Fort long, Shock longest, Hill. long. That was a good movie, too. Long, longest Day was yeah. a great movie. That oh, yeah. That's. I, 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 I even like Robert Mitchum. Of course. Go ahead. I want to don't want to beat uh, the drum, but Best Years of Our Lives is a great movie. I even oh, liked yeah. uh, Great Escape was good. Steve McQueen, James Garner, Charles Bronson. That was that was a great movie. Yeah, yeah. That was, that I, was a, I. Uh, I think that's James Garner's best performance in any movie because he's a little he's a little too much in whatever else he's been in. But that no, that was a great. Movie. You know what else was a modern movie? I thought was was that. Oh, uh, uh, it was uh, Black Black Hawk Down. That was a great movie. I, I thought oh, it yeah. was. That was really sad. I the million dollar was it called, called the Mogadishu Mile at the end where they're trotting. 
Yeah, it's. I think it's brilliantly done battle scenery there. Yeah, I I, I couldn't tell you who was in it, but I, I remember watching it in a movie theater. I think, holy Ted shit. Ted, the guy that just died, is it Ted Sizemore? Or he, he, oh, was, yeah. at, he was a guy in, uh, yeah, he I, he was in it. He just died from, I think, yeah. a drug, drug problem. Rid, did, I think Ridley Scott did it, didn't he? I'm not sure. Don't remember. But no. there was that Eric Bana was in it, I remember. Ted Size, uh, Tom Sizemore, I'm sorry. Tom Sizemore, right. Sam Shepard was kind of the clueless uh, general. Oh, yeah. Remember, yeah. he was, I yes. liked him a lot. He was a great actor. He, yeah. But no, your that, favorite war movie, we've discussed it before. I know you've talked at length about you like Das Boot. That's, uh, am I right that, on that? Yeah. That, that, Jurgen Proctow was genius. That was a brilliant movie. That was Wolfgang Peterson, wasn't it? Was it? I think it was. I'm not sure. But that was a great movie. And I, I have the German tape that's a little bit longer, the tr translation, you know, the subtitles. That was a, I always, I like Breaker Morant too. That was a good movie. Oh, yeah. And one of the Gosh. great movies was, uh, it was really good with Zulu, you know, the work strip. We yeah. talked about that a yeah, couple, we did. like a few months ago. Um, Mike, that was Michael Caine's first. Yes, it was first role. Um, and that was I've, very that Sergeant Broadhead. That was very close to the actual. I wrote about that in uh, Carnage and Culture, the defense of Rourke's Drift. And that was very close to the actual what happened. That uh, and they they should have been like, that uh, movie was close. Yeah. Yes, it was very historically yeah. accurate. Then they had a well. It was a few one. days after fifteen hundred Brit Brits yeah, were at, slaughtered at, and at Islawanda, where they yeah. they didn't have the keys to the ammunition boxes and they didn't open them. They wouldn't let open them, and they were slaughtered, and mutilated. And then that that they did a prequel to that. You remember Zulu Dawn? Zulu about Dawn. The, I've never yeah. seen it. No. Yeah, it's not that bad a movie, and it's about the white about Islawanda slaughter. And when they fled from Islawanda. There was this little outpost at Rourke's Drift. It was kind of a little de st a station, you know, stage station, and they had right. uh, they had food. It was a missionary. The, it was a yeah, church. Yeah, it was a missionary church. It was a depot for the British Army, and there was only about, I think there was, I don't know, 25 people. And then people flocked to it that survived. Not many people survived, and they built a little compound, and they put mealy bags of, uh, you know, horse. They had gunny sacks of uh, forage and they they made a little rampart and they prepared and they had martini henry rifles seven, you know 45 caliber single shot but right. they were they were very well I trained. loved in that Jack Hawkins who's the minister and as he's he's leaving uh, with his daughter turning back and yelling you're all going to die and he was a terrific actor i think john ford said he was the best actor he was very uh, yeah he was uh gosh he was good in bridge over the river quiet bridge over the river quiet right yeah, yeah. bill holden bill holden's one of my favorite actors too he, I've never seen anybody do as good a job well, as he did in wild bunch the wild bunch at the end with the machine gun oh my god <laughs> Yeah. You know, he was Ronald Reagan's best man. When he I know he was. Uh, yeah. yeah. He had that great line in Wild Bunch when he said, you know, uh, if, this, if we can't hang together in this outfit, we might as well give up. Because yeah. all, all we have is, and it was really a good little lecture about camaraderie. And even though they were thugs and criminals <laughs> and anti-heroes, but it was, it was typical Sam, another Sam Peckinpah, Fresno native. Yeah. Well, well, nephew, nephew of Den Denver. I guess he was, uh, let me think now. I guess he was the 
either the brother or the yeah brother of Denver Peckinball, who was a friend of my mother. They were on the Superior Court bench together. Uh, I know we've talked about Peckinpah. Uh, did you ever talk to him? Or no, was it a I met I met, I met Denver Peckinpah. Oh, he, okay. was ju- he was a judge in Fresno. He used to carry. He was a judge that had a you know he carried while he was a judge. It was very yeah. rare in those days, and he had a little. They were from Coarse Gold, so that first movie, Ride the High Country. Yeah. That with um um oh my gosh. Uh, oh that was with Joel McCrae. Uh, Joel McCrae, yeah. 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 I just saw him really in Foreign good. Correspondent. Yeah. Yeah, he was he was just wonderful in that. He's one of my favorite actors too. But he that was sort of autobiographical because all they had kind of a property in that area. The geography doesn't quite because Corsco is not the high country. It's yeah. about, I guess, 3,000 feet or something, if that. Uh, but it was about, he grew up in a cattle ranch. And so it was that idea of the California Sierra Nevada foothills. And a lot of the people in those, a lot of the people in those Peck and Paul movies that are sort of crazy, like the guy in the Wild Bunch, uh, Bo, what's his name? Paul oh, Edmund O'Brien. Yeah, well, yeah, he and Bo Hopkins, you know, who has oh, oh, the, oh, at the beginning where he's he's he holds out and shoots everybody and keeps them away. That he's kind of yeah. a white white trash. Oh, sure, right, right. Edmund, o, Ed, Edmund O'Brien's net. I guess it was his grandson in the movie. Yeah, Bo Hopkins. And anyway, that type of uh, Southern accent, uh, kind of poor white profile is what Peck and Paul grew up with. Right. Although he was kind of an aristocrat. He was from an old, old Fresno family. And uh, that movie was, I think, Ride the High Country and the Wild Bunch were two of the best 10 Westerns that were ever made. They were really good. But that made him famous, Ride the the High Country. And um, it was another talent that used too many drugs, I guess, because he could have done a lot. He could have made even better movies. Well, well, I couldn't. I couldn't made better, but he could have made more best movies. Is what I'm yeah. trying to say. Well, if you anyway. if you if you uh, have the chance to see the Wild Bunch, and you you really have to take it. Well, Victor, I just I'll ca- I'll just uh, close out these TCM thoughts by saying that this uh, uh, marathon lasts from I think Friday evening through through uh, Monday, uh, actually late early very early tuesday morning so tip of tip of the cap and god bless all those who uh made the ultimate sacrifice on behalf of the liberties that we still try to enjoy despite the the woke sobs who try to yeah that's a very good uh, point them. just remember everybody on this as memorial day comes up there was a lot of people who died on the first day of Shiloh and were killed on Okinawa and Iwo Jima and were blown up at Bella Wood for our freedom. And we forget who they were. And I've got to make sure that they died for something. They died for this idea about the United States. And we're a link in the chain. And if we don't endure, then they died for nothing. So right. we have to, we owe it to them to continue on. And, and your namesake, some, being yeah, one of them, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, he got killed at 20, 23, and he had his whole life ahead of him. He's a star football player, first uh, 
straight A student. And that's all I heard growing up. But, you know, you have to do you have to live your life in a way that he would have lived his and right. he died for people like you to have a chance. So that's uh, I think everybody feels that way. We just kind of we kind of get lost once in a while. We lose our way and then we get back on it. But this whole popular culture and indulgence and me, me, me and all of these fads that we talked about today, they're just ephemeral they're just passing they're nothing they're just empty emptiness yeah. what what endures is the bedrock values of the country and what we were founded upon just think away all this crazy stuff it'll pass yeah well hansen in 2024 victor my friend god bless you god bless everyone who uh served us and protected us and uh thanks folks for listening uh, appreciate appreciate all the wisdom Victor shared today and we will be back soon with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson show bye bye thank you everybody for listening hey there it's Amanda Head and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast furthermore with Amanda Head broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles California and brought to you by the dynamic just the news podcast network on this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, expert politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.